This is Ingredient Insiders, and I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with famous chefs and authors about their favorite ingredients. We'll then be speaking to the producers of those ingredients to talk about the history, how they're made, and why chefs love using them in their restaurants. Andrea, this is like a unique episode, to say the least. Because it's not like something that you eat on its own. I love that when we asked Chef Ignacio Matos what he wanted to talk about, he came up with the answer that he came up with. Because if you've ever been to one of Ignacio's restaurants in New York City, which is Estella or Cafe Ultra Paradiso or Lodi, or they've got a brand new place called Nine Orchard, the corner bar at the Nine Orchard Mm -hmm. Hotel in Lower Manhattan. He is a super creative chef, although he, you know, his food isn't wildly exotic or, or, or anything, you know. It's ingredient driven, I would say. It's super ingredient driven, but he's so creative and, and thoughtful. When we asked him what ingredient he wanted to talk about on Ingredient Insiders, his answer was squid ink. And, you know, it's not something that I think you or I or the, you know, most people at home are cooking with on a daily basis. I mean, like... For me, when I hear squid ink, I think about Finding Nemo. Yeah. You know, like, he made me ink. Yeah. I was snorkeling this summer in the Aegean Sea, and I saw a cuttlefish, which is a large squid. Mm -hmm. And as I got close to it, it shot out its ink and swam away from me. It's a defense mechanism. I thought about this episode when that happened. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a defense mechanism for them so they can get away from their prey, but... We use it. Sure, to color pastas and do it. You know, it leads back to that great age-old discussion of, like, who decided to eat this thing right. for the first time? I remember a trip I took to the Caribbean years ago, and I was with a, a local fisherman who lived off the land. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to talk to him because the way he looked at the world was in one of two ways. And he looked at all of the products of the ocean was, you can eat this, but you can't eat that. And that was anything that I saw for the first time in the ocean or on the shore. You know, I'd point to a type of clam or crab and he'd say, oh, you know, that's good. You can eat that. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh, look at this fish. It's so cool. Oh, no, I don't like those. You can't eat that. It, It defined his world. If something was good, it could be eaten. If something could not be eaten, it had, he had no use for it. It was all about survival for him. Exactly. Yeah. And so th- it leads me back to the reason I bring that up is when you talk about squidding, it was like at some point somebody was like, oh, yeah, you can eat that. You know, like you talk about like nose to tail eating and like not wasting anything. God bless the person who caught, you know, squid and octopus and was like, yeah, obviously we got these delicious meaty tentacles. Let's make a little calamari. Let's drop it in a little bread and fry it up and it's crispy and delicious. And then at some point somebody was like, oh, you know, there's this there's, there's ink inside of here and we can eat this too. Yeah, we can use it to color rice, pasta, yeah, anything. And then another, you know, interesting thing, this summer I wanted to do some grilled calamari or grilled squid and... I'll tell you, I had a very hard time finding fresh squid. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is is frozen now. Most of it's frozen. Mm -hmm. However, I found a Japanese market not too far from my house in White Plains, New York. Uh, It's called Daido Market. And they have fresh squid that they sell in, you know, little packages in the back of the store. 
Beautiful. And I found myself cleaning the squid and... Did you use the ink? No, I didn't. That's what I was going to tell you. So like, I'd never really spent a lot of time cleaning squid. Maybe I did a couple times in my life, but I had these packages that I was opening and cleaning all these squid. And it's very easy to clean a squid. Mm-hmm. You kind of rip the body out yep. from the tentacles and that part. And then you kind of take scissors and you clip right above the eyeballs. And then, you know, you squeeze out the little beak and it's very easy to clean. And then you pull out that clear like cartilage bone. Right. Andrea's nodding along because she spent a lot of time in Rhode Island where there's, she probably there's played with a lot of squid. Yeah. But in a lot, if not most, if not all of these, there was a lot of ink in these like oh, ink yeah. sacks. It is work And I to was clean cleaning it. them in my sink and it was, <laughs> I was like, I can't believe how much ink is it. And I, but I was, it was all going down the drain because I had no use for sure. it. I felt a little bad because maybe I could have done something with it. But wow, they get a lot of ink in them. They do. Yeah. Surprising. So this episode is going to be talking about squid ink. I think most people use squid ink to color pasta. Yeah. I mean, I think that when, when you say squid ink immediately, that's where my mind goes or to the arose negra. Yeah. Or I, in Sicily, now that I think about it, I've had regular pasta where the sauce yes. is squid ink. I don't know what else was in there, but it makes like this kind of black sauce. Mm-hmm. Definitely like a seafood based pasta. I think. No question. Yeah. Delicious. I, you know, there is a flavor to squid ink. It's very, it's like, uh, like uh, meta- metallic-y. I would say metallic or iodine. Yes. It's, it's got a, it does have a unique flavor. But not super overpowering. It's not like when you use it in a pasta and you you, you definitely taste it, but it's not going to overpower the dish. Right. It's more for like dramatic effect, I would say. Correct. You know, Ignacio uses it in a variety. He does. He cooks rice with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does an arroz negra, a black rice, which with squid, you know, the meat mixed back into it, which is absolutely fantastic. I think it's like drowning on the ocean. It feels like thick ocean flavored, you know? Briny. Deep, briny ocean flavored, yeah. So it's going to be fun to talk to him about uh, squid ink. We're also going to be speaking with Ignacio Rodriguez from Norton Dahl Seafood Products, all about, you know, what they actually call cuttlefish ink instead of squid ink. Currently, it's not possible to work, uh, if you have an industry, to work with squid ink. Why? Because the bags of, of ink they have inside the, 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 the body are really, really small. The cuttlefish have bigger uh, ink bags. Can't wait to talk all about squid ink. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. What an honor to be here at Estella Restaurant. We are in the upstairs apartment with Ignacio Matos Andrea, AKA Nacho. Is it okay? Can we call you Nacho? Yeah, just like the food. Just like the food. <laughs> How appropriate. So I'm going to start this conversation with a story okay. about Ignacio. And this goes back to, I'm going to say it's like the early 2000s. I don't know the exact year, but we were sending deliveries to a great Italian restaurant in New York City called Il Buco. Mm, one of my faves. Yeah, really good. We were sending porcini mushrooms and maitake mushrooms and a lot of different products. And I started to notice a pattern like over the course of like a week where I was going in the warehouse and I would see that the mushrooms were being returned. And I was like, what, you know, where did these come from? And they said the Il Buco and I spoke to the driver and he said, the chef didn't like the quality. 
And I looked at him, I'm like, pretty good. It happened a couple of times. You know, I, I think I called on the phone maybe and I was like, chef, you know, can you tell me what's going on here? And he's like, why don't you come down to the restaurant and let's talk? And I wasn't angry at all, but I was like, why is this like, what's going on? Is there something, you know, weird? Because sometimes uh, restaurants send back things and you don't know if it was maybe they double ordered by accident and all this. So I go down to Il Buco and I meet Ignacio and Love it he introduced sight. himself and he's, you know, he told me he's from Uruguay and he explained to me what he was doing there. Within five minutes, any thoughts I had of like, why is the chef returning things that he shouldn't be returning? He said, John, look at the porcini that I just got. See how beautiful these are? This is what I want. These are the hen of the woods. This is what I use. In, literally in five minutes showed me that he was so serious about the quality of the ingredient. He knew his stuff really well as a result of working at places like Chez Panisse and Zuni Cafe where they're really ingredient driven. And I was like, I get it. We need to really make sure that we're giving the best ingredients we have to this chef in this restaurant. And then he said, you should come in and have dinner and see what I'm doing here. And I will say this, I'm not saying this because he's sitting here. I went in and walked out of that restaurant after having dinner and said, this is the best Italian restaurant in New York City. And the best Italian chef in New York City is not from Italy. He's actually from Uruguay. And it started a friendship or relationship, a purveyor chef relationship where I was like, this guy's amazing. And then you went on to Il Buco Alimentaria, which was also incredible. Well, like I started it and and you left. You yeah, weren't there was, that no, long. It was right before opening, actually. You set it up and left. And then you went to Issa. Wow, you have memory. I got a memory. Wow. In Brooklyn. And I remember I went there and was blown away by the food. You were doing things that were really creative. It was like a whole fried anchovy. I'm talking too much, but... John and I, we talked about you a lot yesterday in preparation for this conversation. And I think the words that John used to describe you and your cooking were like savant, prodigy, super creative you're, you're kind of like on a different level in terms of when you say john like that's how you were describing him to me you grew up in uruguay a skills with italian cuisine that you would think that you were born and raised in italy you worked in an italian restaurant the italian food was like being in italy then you opened up i'll mention floor bar where it was spanish influence but all these different influences that were just very clean flavors, exceptional. One thing I would say about Ignacio and his restaurants is Altro Paradiso, I can explain, it's, I say it's Italian. I have a very hard time putting a descriptor on where we are right now, Estella, other than to say it's amazing. It's one of my favorite restaurants and I think it's one of the greatest restaurants to open in New York City in the last 20 years. And I would say the same when people ask me about Floribar. I don't know how to, there's not a cuisine, I could say there's Spanish influence. I could say there's Italian influence. I could say it's ingredient driven. And even to use that type of language doesn't explain what's going on in the kitchen here and what comes out in the dining room. But what I will say is, because we're talking about squidding, squidding today, is there are a couple of dishes that I've had at Estella that blew my mind the first time I had them. And now I'm scared to say, what are we, 10 years later here? 10 years later. 10 years later, I had dinner in this room that we're sitting in about a year ago or not even a year ago. The dishes are as exciting to have now as they were 10 years ago. Mind-blowing stuff. The steak tartare or the carne cruda mm -hmm. blows your mind here every time. I don't know what you do. I'm not even going to ask. You have this arroz negro. Correct. That is got squid ink pieces of calamari, crunchy rice. To this point of like trying to define like what's the cuisine of 
these places in particular like Estela is like for me it was like a, a sad New Yorker what it is New York you know and New York is this multicultural melting pot of different cultures that I'm obsessed and I just love to be able to have access to all the things and ingredients I, I just you know I come from a town that it, it's nothing going on you know what I mean it's the More same limited. for me it's always been like how you know you process your life experiences and internalize it and Put it out, you know. The Ros Negros. I actually started with family meal. Luis Sierra, uh, a chef here, he was making family meal in the flap top fried rice. You know, we were in Colombia and they do this dish called recalentado. That is also a rice because they have like Chinese influences and also in Peru because they have the Chinese influence and they're really amazing. And also, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, hold on one second. It's like we were using these black pens and we start testing and testing and different rice and and so on. And we decodify how to make that rice crispy every single time and how to come out with a dish is a hybrid between a, the most perfect the soccer rat on a paella. There is the crispy bits around the, the pan, but you never get it all around. I mean, there's different ways that you could get it now, but this idea of like a fried rice, that's kind of like the idea. You know, we have egg at the bottom of the dish. It's not like cooked down it's more raw so you add some creaminess you oh should there's eat. egg in that dish yeah so oh, now egg. we're getting the secrets yeah. andrea right is it like a bamba rice or Yolks. a, a calasbara no, it's well but if i tell you, I tell you all the secrets to kill me she don't yeah don't tell her she's writing down she knows it's how actually to cook. no it's on the book come on it's like it's brown rice brown rice it's brown rice okay yeah. and we use squid ink and we use fish sauce and we use you know a sofrito which is pretty spanish traditionally speaking uh, it's hazelnuts that add like nuttiness to it. Um, hazelnuts, that's kind of a yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, it's unexpected. Yeah, Another crunch, crunch, mm-hmm. but also like flavor wise, it adds some roots to the dish, even if the, the dish is pretty ballsy and rooted. Where that dish come from? So we use yeah, squid ink. That's amazing. What does squid ink mean to you? Like, was there squid ink in Uruguay? What it got my attention, it was like how assertive flavor it is, you know? How would you describe it? I think it's like drowning on the ocean. That's good. <laughs> but it's a little muddy, but like, yeah, it feels like thick ocean flavored, you know? Like briny. Like deep, briny ocean flavored, yeah. And it's a way to make it more assertive. It can overwhelm a dish, but used in, in the right manner, it can really, you know, make things very interesting and fascinating. I personally am obsessed with the, with, with the flavor, you know? And you can amplify it and open it up, but like, you know, like a risotto, risotto negro de sepia is my favorite thing to have, particularly when it's really loose. You really love the the squid ink. I love that. So risotto, obviously you're the your arroz negro. What are some other great uses for squid ink? Doing a, a nice seafood ragu, you know, like a quick seafood ragu. It's incredible. You can make pasta with it, mayonnaise or aioli. You can do Bernays. And those are all things that they're like good and assertive, you know, and, and the, fa- the flavor come across. I found the color absolutely fascinating. I think it's, it's... What is the color? Is it black or is it blue? It's a black blue. It's melanin, uh, which adds pigment. It's in all of us. It's like what makes our skin the color mm-hmm. that it is. But what is that color? If you put it into an aioli, is it going to be a black or is it going to... No, fully. I mean, it depends the amount that you put into it, but it's a bluish, I would say. But it's, yeah, it's a bluish. It's a deep bluish. It has like brown tones, depending. Are there different grades of squid ink? I imagine if you're in Sicily or Spain and you're by the sea, 
you're probably getting fresh squidding locally. I don't know how, do you get fresh squidding? Yeah, you can yeah. get fresh squidding. You get a yeah, fresh? Sure. You get the sacks and you, and the you sacks. just clean it. It's labor intensive. Yeah. But, you know, it's like one of the things that, you know, they used to be done manually, you know, but it's like fascinating that, you know, like out of these sea creatures, you know, they figured it out. Like, I, I mean, we were definitely desperate. How the hell or who was the first right. person to go, you know what, let's try it. Let's taste this stuff. Desperation. Uh, and start eating it. Yeah. <laughs> Need. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's the most fascinating of like, you know, with that, all these things that we give for granted nowadays, you know, like, I don't know, you eat that, a chocolate cake and you're like, like the process to get to from the cocoa nib to a chocolate and the Martians and the variables is like crazy. And when you taste like a perfect, I, I don't know, it's, it's just insane. And like a squidding is one of the things. Who decide to open this creature? Look at this viscous sack. Black goo. goo yeah. yeah. And and like this is it's something here, you know? And and then the, the, the evolution and where that take us. And I find it as a delicacy, you know, like for me, it's like a, a treat. I love to have a jar in the refrigerator. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's like very I'm, handy. And it's commercially available now. I yeah. mean, we sell, we sell jars of jars it. Of it mm -hmm. And I think we sell it frozen as well. Yeah. I work at this restaurant and they would do this dish. Actually, it's on the Basque country and we would do a, a squid ravioli. It's like a, an amazing, but you know, like back to, to, to all these influences as well as Sunni with like the product and this and that. At that place, it was like, uh, Cuttlefish, we do squares of cuttlefish, very frozen, very thinly sliced. Let's say it's like, I don't know, seven, five by five inches squared. And we would do an amazing stock, reinforce it with the squidings. And it was like very intense. Put it on a, a small ice cube, put it to freeze, and then we would grab. So it was like a ravioli, like, you know, it would be liquid, but rich. And it was the most incredible. The, you know, single bite that you could have. And instead of having pasta, it was actually the, this the, the cuttlefish. Sepia, the cuttlefish. That's so cool. Wow. Meat. Yeah, it was incredible. Let's talk more about squid. Are there any other? So the arroz negro is something that Estella is absolutely known for. Are you doing other dishes with squid ink? Yeah, we're doing pasta at, at, at Droa Linguini. That is pretty delicious. Sometimes we do it with like uh, shrimp. Sometimes we do it with uh, cuttlefish. We done it, you know, we done like a, a pitchy or a linguini. The pitchy is the one that you can roll mm -hmm. one by one. It's like nice and meaty. You know, when you do it with a squid, it kind of feel like if you're eating cuttlefish, you know what I mean? Because uh -huh. the pitchy has that density that cuttlefish has to. So I think it's an interesting play. So you're playing on the texture, not just the flavor. If, if it's not flavored, it's like, mm -hmm. like you should not be cooking all together. No, but, but if the texture is like, I think it's a very underrated yeah. part of eating that it's a lot going on, not just on the palate, but the sound and how it feels. I was going to say, I feel like I've had at restaurants pasta where the squid ink has been incorporated into the dough yeah. to make it a dark color. Does that also give it, you know, the, that flavor it's, of the squid ink or yeah, is it more it, just of a colorant? It's more a colorant, but yeah. it has, it can, it can, it, it does change slightly the flavor, you know, like it has like this minerally, almost like a metallic uh -huh. taste. It's not bad. It's good, yeah. but it's, it's very specific. Which other dish? At, at Isa, we used to make this squid ink that it was like a very intense sauce. Kind of like also like, based on the experiences it kind of remind me that dish that uh, we would do at that place in spain we'll clean the squid perfectly and we will cook it at a very low temperature so it kind of looked alive with they were like 12 inches long so it was pretty dramatic on the plate and we will clean it 
the creature will be still whole on the plate. I remember and we this have dish. this sauce, and it was very simple. There's a lot of Asian dishes as well that use yeah. Yeah. squid ink. Yeah, it's they a, it's use a big, it. It's big. And yeah, it's big. They use it a lot for like dumpling mm -hmm. uh, dough and stuff like that. I mean, I haven't had dessert, but I'm sure you can do like something interesting with it because why not? Why not? A little squid ink ice cream. I am Chef Ignacio Matos, and you're listening to Ingredients Insider. Well, tell us a little bit of kind of about your upbringing. I read a lot about your grandmother, um, who has Italian roots. Talk to us a little bit. I always say, like, I think the most important gift that a kid or a person can have in terms of, like, not just on cooking, I think in general, like, is growing up eating at home. I think it's the most civilized act, and most human act is, like, you know, to be able to, to sit at the table and share a meal, and, you know, and on top of that, you add like, you know, good ingredients, some care and love put into the, the, uh, the meal. And it doesn't matter like the background that you have in some sort of way, you know, like if you grew up eating good home cooking, like you, you, you're starting off like on the right track. How did you end up in getting into the food or the restaurant business? Was that in, did it start in Uruguay? Yeah, I started in Uruguay. I somehow ended up in culinary school. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was not much faith on myself at the time. And yeah, I ended up going to culinary school. I was very determined and driven and making it work and making it happen. And I would say I get kind of lucky. I was extremely determined and I was pushing, but I also, you know, it was very new, like the whole structural kitchen. I also have certain expectations. I went to some kitchen that's supposed to be the best ones in Uruguay, but it was like, a big let down the environment until somehow I ended up at this place that it's a hotel and it was this Frenchman called Michel Kerber that it was one of uh, Passar has two mentors is one of Passar's mentors and he, somehow he was doing a consultant in Uruguay and he was very just very French you know and his body language is very particular you know when you see Passar body language in the kitchen you would you understand where it come from you know uh -huh. so it kind of really has a huge impact on me not just like the way how he was dressed how he was moving his body language on how he hold the pants and how he would smell and how he would dive into the pants and how he would like touch the ingredient how we look at ingredients it was very romantic and enchanting and i was like whoa this might be something here and i didn't grow up i mean aside i grew up in a, like a farm in a small town with not really much access to any kind of sophistication whatsoever. But I grew up eating good food and, you know, around nature. So that was persistent. And so we have the language as a barrier, but maybe that, and that probably was one of my first experiences like with language uh, limitations. And also it was fascinating to be able to communicate with someone that it was like not speaking the language and somehow I was able to do you know, I get hit a couple times on the hand because I would touch something that I'm not supposed to touch. Yeah, so this guy kind of changed my my whole perspective and I get really excited. Then again, this it was this person that worked at the office at this culinary school and she saw me determined and driven and I guess she was getting good feedback. And she sent me to work with Francis Malman. Everything started there and I started working with Francis in this gorgeous uh, restaurant that he had in Jose Ignacio in this small town on the beach. I was talking about this place last night and it's it's just one of the most stunning places, like very simple, but like refined and elegant and the food at the time it speak to me. And, and it was the beginning of Francis transitioning from the French school 
that he was doing at the time to a much more primal and rustic, but he still know what he is now. So it was in this process and in, in, in this uh, transformation on, on the cuisine. And that's how I get started. I worked for him for like many years, I would say like seven years. Oh, so. wow. And I went all over the place with him, you know, went to Mendoza, Argentina, Brazil, the States, Europe. Also spent time working at Japanese, at SUNY. And yeah, and Sony kind of like blew my mind. It shook my my boat at the time. The listeners who don't know, Francis Malman, he's Argentinian. He's Argentinian. Born. One of the, you know, real genius and brilliant and creative chefs. I think when I think of him, I think mostly I have uh, one of his cookbooks that I love. I think it's called Seven Fires, which is all about cooking over wood and just these, you know, very traditional, I think, Argentinian dishes, but with his own kind of twist on it. And to your point, very ingredient centric, where he sources things um, and a certain simplicity about the foods. So to spend seven years with him had to have been like, like mind blowing. And he's quite a character from what I've seen. I've met him once, but how did you get, you're laughing. How did you end up going from there to San Francisco? Is that, was that the move? He told me, I was in Brazil at the time. We went to open this restaurant, like a 470 seat restaurant, which was a, an insane operation. Everybody was leaving. We were all leaving because we have like a contract whatsoever. But yeah, this, the owner of the restaurant asked if I could stay. We were like a group of, I think, 30 people. Wow. So it was kind of like just and then uh, convinced another friend to stay. So we were like the two of us. So I stayed there for some time, you know, and I kind of grew a little bit too fast at that time. I was like kind of running the kitchen some somehow. I, I wanted to go back to cooking and I wanted to get my hands dirty and I want to explore and I want to learn a lot more. And Francis said, like, you should go to with Judy Rogers and, you know, and go to Zuni and Cafe Zuni. And, and I had no idea. Or Zuni Cafe, I should say. I didn't have much of idea. There was no internet at the time. Uh, so everything was, you know, if Francie was saying it, I was like, okay. So I went there like without knowing much and arrived at the restaurant. She came upstairs. I went to my luggage. I just changed and started working there. And it was like just mind blowing the attention to detail, the care. A very, very unique uh, chef. And Judy worked at Chez Panisse before? She worked at Chez, but she worked with the um, the Trogro family Got it. for a big period of time. Was she not like an exchange student or something? She was something. And I like, think she stayed with the Trogro family or something. Yeah. One of the most thoughtful and methodical chefs that I ever dealt. And I think she wrote one of the best cookbooks that exist and I, the way that she described cooking and smelling like how to, how to use the whole sensorial how to use the senses i don't think anybody has achieved that in words so well well a couple so, things speak to her legacy one is i was lucky enough to eat at zuni cafe about three weeks ago and i the restaurant to me is as good as it ever was today I don't know if you've been or not, Andrew, but I haven't been, no. the Zuni chicken is kind of this thing of legend and myth. When you go to the restaurant, it says on the menu, if you order this, it will be one hour for it to come out of the kitchen. Um, it's just it's another restaurant where it's ingredient driven, driven mm -hmm. ca very carefully sourced. Your food today in New York City is so reflective 
of that, very ingredient driven. So the whole point of my story was, soon as I met Ignacio, you know, I was immediate respect because I was like, this guy knows his product. He cares about his product and he's making some great food and he's passionate. So I connect very well with those type, you know, that, that chef. It wasn't, he wasn't sending it back because he screwed something up or because the price was too high. It was, he had a standard of expectation. He knew what that expectation was. And, you know, not everybody has that. And it's a result of this like pedigree of, of where you came from. So jump to New York City. When did you come to New York? Well, like, I came in 2002. I was here. We opened a place with Francis for like, I was here for like two, three years. And then two years. And I didn't then, know Francis Moment had a restaurant in New York. Yeah, well, in it was in West Hampton Beach, but the plan was to open here in the city. So it was like it fell through. I decided to go to California and work in Japanese. After a year there, I just realized that California wasn't for me. I went to Brazil and then came back here in 2006. And since then, I've been here. I went and ran Il Buco for five and a half years, moved, did ISA. That didn't work out so well but it was a, a pretty uh, iconic place at the time uh, that we're talking about squidding but we were doing this very fun yeah. squid dish and then open estela open altro paradiso flora and yeah now lodi and we opening this project nine orchard on on the lower east side nine orchard is the new restaurant coming later this year this is going to be american food how you describe it it's like a, one of the concepts it's yes it's like a tavern like food so it's like american and again you can do research and a lot of this stuff came from france yeah you know so it's like yeah american french tavern well this has been an amazing conversation if you are listening to this and you have not been to a stella restaurant in new york city you must go i always you know andrew and i were talking yesterday one of the great stories was this restaurant was very under the radar when it opened up. Somehow, just a couple months into the opening, you had Barack Obama coming in here for dinner, which to me was I was so excited when I heard that. Yeah. Because, again, Ignacio was a young chef, just opened this restaurant kind of on his own. And the president of the United States was coming in here. They had to close down House and Street. What was that like? Yeah, were that you night? nervous? How did that even happen? It's just going to a, a mode like I, I just tried. The, yeah, I just no. I kind of isolate myself and I just did what I do every day. You know. Had you much. ever cooked for a president or a head of state? Yeah, but like no, it's very different when you deal with like someone like the president of the United States. It's like a very different, and it's hard to describe. It. It's like it's it's a little bit like I mean you see it on the movies. You know what I mean? A certain level of, you know, but how much is real versus how much is fiction? The security and all that the stuff? The security level, like the level of orchestration, coordination, professionalism. Yeah, well, they call him the most important person on the planet, that president. Tell me if this is true or not. When the Obamas finished their dinner and they presented their credit card, I heard it got declined. True or false? True. True. Okay. Stop. I'm saying it because it, it's it's. It, he had the money. Yeah. Of course. Out. I mean, no. We got, we. I actually have. Did happened, they dine and dash? But we didn't say anything. But then he was like two weeks in. It happened. The best part was the server, Alex. She's amazing, and like she dropped the F, and she's like, oh, damn it. 
you get declined. What are you supposed to do? And at this point, it's like, you know, it's everyone that works around. It's like, okay, it's like, you want to go talk to him? And she's like, what? It's like, yeah, you just go tell him. And we tried to invite them and they're like, no, you cannot do that. They need to pay. And he was very gracious and funny. So Michelle ended up paying. And that's hilarious. But he, he, we didn't say anything because we wanted to respect, you know, their privacy and whatsoever. But two weeks after he was again in New York and he mentioned something and he pretty much told the story to the press about some sec- like credit card security issue. Um, so we have again, like every single media. Great press. Coming in to the restaurant, trying to get information. We are like, we don't know anything. But yeah, it happens and, you know, I think it's, you know, it's another, it's a human being, you yeah. know? That's funny. Really good people. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about Squid Ink. We had such a great conversation. Oh my God, we're going over to Cafe Ultra Paradiso for lunch. I can't wait to eat everything on the menu there. Hello, this is Ignacio Rodriguez speaking from Nortindal Seed Products. And we are speaking on the podcast called Ingredient Insiders. We are here today with Ignacio Rodriguez, who works in the export department for Nortendal Seafood Products. And we're so excited because we're talking about squid ink, which, you know, it's kind of an unusual ingredient. You're actually making cuttlefish ink. Can you tell us a little bit about cuttlefish ink and the differences between that and squid ink? Okay. Uh, first of all, thank, thank you for your time and hello, everybody. So, uh, are the same and, and two animals, two cephalopods that lives in the in the sea, in the sea, but are like cousins, but are not the same product. I mean, the squid and the cuttlefish, they both have the the arm in their head, but are different animals. So one is the cuttlefish, and, and the other one is the squid. If you take a look up in the internet, you want to find the shape of the animals are different. Mm-hmm. So are the same family are, are mollusks but a different animal. The squid, the ink they have inside is the same. It's the same taste, the same flavor, the same color, but currently it's not possible to work, uh, if you have an industry, to work with squid ink. Why? Because the bags of, of ink they have inside the, 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 the body are really, really small. The cuttlefish have bigger uh, ink bags, so it's easier to work with the ink that extract we extract from the cuttlefish than the one we extract from the squid. If in the market you find somebody that they put on the label that this is squid ink, I confirm you that this is, is, is fake. It's fake. It's always cuttlefish ink. You're kind of debunking what I think most chefs think. So when you're buying or a chef is buying quote unquote squid ink, they're actually buying cuttlefishing? Yes, that's right. Yes, ah, I didn't know but that. we we know that uh, sometimes the market they prefer some clients. In fact, when we make the uh, private label for some clients, important clients, they prefer if we put the squid ink because they they say they uh, some supermarket they prefer they think it's more visual. I don't know. They prefer yeah, to put squid ink because I think it sounds better than the cuttlefish. A lot of people doesn't know what is re- really. We try to go on, on on quality, so that's why we have IFS, we have BRC because we th- do things correctly. So we always put the, uh, the right animal. It's the cuttlefish ink. 
So you're staying true to the product. You want to call it what it is. You don't want to say that it's something that it isn't. You're kind of marketing it as cuttlefishing. That's right. It's cuttlefishing. I think of it as both flavor and color. But what would you describe the flavor profile of cuttlefishing? It's, uh, the cuttlefish is a, is a, a, a seafood. Really, if you smell the raw material of the ink, it's absolutely 100% seafood. It smells like when you open a seafood at home, when you are cooking. So you can use it in two ways, the cuttlefish ink. As color, to put color, for example, in spaghetti al nero y sepia, the spaghetti, the black spaghettis are made with our ink. But if you put a lot of ink, the, the product, the final product or the, 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 the meal you are cooking is going to taste to seafood. So sometimes they prefer, they are looking for that taste, to, to the seafood taste. If you put, if you add just a little, uh, just a little, a small quantity, it only add only color. So uh, these people like is looking for uh, a color and a taste, and other, uh, another people is looking for only the color of the of the product. I've always thought that it's definitely more, you know, when I think of it, more of a colorant. And I thought that the, the flavor is, you know, it definitely tastes of the sea and has the aroma of the sea, but it's not so in your face. It's very subtle. It's a concentrate smell and, and the taste. It's really strong. So just with you add just a little bit, you're going to get a lot of color and a lot of taste. So a little goes a long way. Now, tell us a little bit about the history of Norton Doll as a company. You know, where is it located? How do you get started working in the in the cuttlefish industry? Okay, it's a, this is a family company. It was uh, founded in 1976 by the president of the company. His, his name is Manuel Altolaguirre. Many years ago, the, the ink was a product that we extract directly from the from the cuttlefish or from the squid, in case you are at, were at home just with the squids. But he thinks about there will be a, a, behind this will be a business. So we start looking for providers of the ink. We build the, the company and now we export it to more than 60 countries around the world. The ink is really famous in Spain. Yes. More, maybe more in the north, in the, the north part, in the Basque country. We, we are located in the Basque country in San Sebastian. And it's really famous, the black rice or, for example, calamari with ink. It's really, really famous. What are the, the popular culinary dishes that you've seen? The black rice, for sure. You know, that kind of comes to my mind first. But, but what else? And depending the place, you've, the, 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 the country we sell, the client tells us that they, they use differently the, the products. So, for example, in, in France, they look the, the black bread. In Mexico, they use it to make black tacos. Uh, in Italy, one of the best, best markets is, is to make spaghetti al nero y sepia. The black spaghettis, the out of pasta industries. For example, in Spain, they love the black rice. Uh, in China, we are selling in China or Korea. In Korea, also, they, they love the black, uh, the black bread. Also, the black ice cream. If you look up in the in the internet or Instagram, Nortindal Lodas, you're going to find a lot of different recipes that uh, a lot of clients send us to, to post it in the Instagram. I think it's really, really, really interesting, the things that the people is doing with the ink. Now, when you're producing the cuttlefish, how much ink comes out of each fish? Just a bag. Just as, uh, depending the, the, the size of the cuttlefish, yes, mm -hmm. they, they have just one bag. So we have to go around the world trying to get more providers of the of the ink. We, we go on to Asia, to Africa. We look for the people who is dealing with the cuttlefish and we try to explain them that we need just the bag. Sometimes it's like they say, only the bag? Just, you don't want the cuttlefish? No, 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 we just need the bag. 
Interesting. So uh, most of the time, you know, people are eating the actual, the fish itself. This is almost like a byproduct, right? Yes. Are there a lot of other companies doing what you're doing? We try to, to do the things uh, only based in quality. So we are growing because we, we have FDA certification, we have IFS, we have very AC, we have the CNA to explain to Korea, we have the POA to export to Brazil. So we know that if you want to, to increase the sales, we need to go on quality always. Because if you want to sell, for example, to United Kingdom, all the supermarkets actually use some quality certifications. And it's the big difference between other comp competitors. They are just doing the things the other way. For example, to put the squid in, we prefer to do, to do the things correctly. We put cuttlefish in, Sometimes the client, they prefer to put the squid in, and that's why we lost the, the sale. But we prefer to do the things correctly. Of course, here in Spain, it's almost a commodity, the ink. But I understand the countries like USA or, or, or Japan, uh, it's, an, uh, it's not it's not well-known product. But right. by, by the end, we are selling to the East Coast and the West Coast. So I think we are getting getting more among clients there. Yeah. Do you, and so you do export to the United States, correct? Yes, that's correct. We have been exporting the last 20 years. You know, if you're looking for this product, you're going to find it in, you know, Spanish uh, markets or specialty grocery stores. Um, this is definitely a, a special product. It, it's not, you know, something that you might find, you know, at your everyday grocery. Anyway, if you want to get it, you're going to get it. Because, for example, you, you can find online we can buy everywhere. You have, we have a lot of clients that they sell the product online. Yeah, and I think this is a great opportunity to educate chefs in the United States and, and you know, really everywhere about cuttlefish, about what it is, and kind of make it more mainstream and make it more approachable. I think it's time that cuttlefish had its day and that you know we start calling it what it is. And you know, <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me today. If you want to find the Norton Dahl Cuttlefish Inc., please check out your Spanish grocery stores, yep. specialty markets, and you can always find it online. Okay. Just, just thank you for your time. I, I would like to take advantage of this opportunity to, to, to explain that we have all, also developed the cuttlefish ink powder in powder oh. so it's not liquid it's in powder it's a new product we are launching to the market so many different industries and clients they prefer the powder better than they prefer than the than the liquid why do they prefer the powder versus the liquid because it's cleaner because the powder is cleaner than the liquid sometimes the liquid uh, is is more dirty that the mainly for industry channel it's more dirty to clean the machines after using the ink and with the powder, just with some water, you clean up. Mainly from Italy, a lot of pasta producers, they are asking us to, to develop the product, the ink powder. Interesting. How are you dehydrating the, the squid ink? How do you make it go from a, a liquid to a powder with heat? Got it. Okay, yeah, very that's cool. Right. And I could, I could see how chefs, it probably, ex you know, it, it probably extends the shelf life too, right? That's right. So a lot of benefits to using the powder versus the actual ink. It, it, it's the same product, but it depends on the client. If they prefer the liquid, you have available the liquid. If they prefer the powder, you have we have the, the powder available. It depends on the final client. Yes, we are getting it. I found this conversation so fascinating. Thank you so much. I can, I actually want to try the powder now. I'm very intrigued. So I'm going to be uh, okay. that one up online for sure. Thank you very much for your time. It was happy. It has been, it has been a pretty big pleasure for me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. You can find the products discussed in today's episode on chefswarehouse.com.